to mean what I say, but then do what I feel like we need to do. And it's always, not always things good. We're good to go? Awesome. <laughs> Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. That's right. Good stuff in the Old Testament. We are a New Testament. So, you know, in that light, while we're still waiting on people to come, just a little bit of stuff. Um, do remember, and, and here's the thing, um, that to understand the Old Testament, we do look at it from New Testament perspective. We interpret now the, new, the Old Testament with the New Testament. We never interpret the New Testament with the Old Testament. Just as a, as a way of Bible interpretation, just to teach you, right? So you always now walk through. Now with that, and even amongst our circles that would be considered more, if you will, quote unquote, grace-based or graced circles. Um, one of the things that I don't like about our, our, our grace-based circles is there's a little bit of hating that goes on with the Old Testament, right? <laughs> right? There's some, uh, there's some hating and some false information, right, uh, about the Old Testament. Because many people will tell you, well, the Old Testament doesn't count anymore. It's all done. And that is not true at all. Right, it is not true at all. Now, what they're intending to say, and even when they say this, do you understand that even when we talk about the law, the law of Moses, or the law of the Old Testament, many people say, well, the law has been done away with. And I always say, well, it depends. Right, <laughs> right? in this way, the need for the law for righteousness has been done away with. Paul said to the Colossians, the righteous requirement of the law has been done away with. So we now no longer need a law by which to say, I've done the ABC, so therefore I'm right with God. But the law is still very much valid because Paul says without the law, we would not understand or know sin. And he said, and the law is for those who have no law. Y'all look at me kind of funny. You understand that, right? That the law is there to show us our need for Jesus. That was always its intent. All right, now y'all look at me real funny. I didn't mean to start open up a can of worms. Everybody all right? Is this all new information? Okay, good. I just want to say that because, again, as, you, as, as we listen to different folks, uh, I've heard folks actually say that. Well, you just basically, you know, if you just have a New Testament, that's all you need. Well, no. Paul said again, he said, all scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture. all scripture was given by the inspiration of God. And all scripture, everybody say all scripture, all scripture. is profitable for reproof, for instruction, for correction in righteousness. So all scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, all scripture points us to our right standing in God. Does that make sense? And yet, so you, have to, you have to understand that. And again, and to talk about that again, there is still a use for us of the law to understand the law because it truly is a great way to help lead people to Jesus, especially in our current culture. Do you understand that in our current culture, most people don't believe there is a such thing as sin? Did y'all know that? Even in the South. Even in the Bible Belt, you talked to, uh, what was it? I was talking with Audra about this, and, and there was a church that shall remain nameless, so my wife doesn't get upset. But there was a church, you know, um, that was here in our local area, and the youth pastor had a shocking revelation one day 
when he was talking to the young people. Now, again, everybody say young people people. of his church, Mm -hmm. right, who were raised in Christian homes, Mm -hmm. right? And the young people said, oh, well, no, there's no sin. I'm not totally misquoting, I hope. But, you know, but there was this whole idea of, well, no, 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 we're basically good. We're good people. Right? There's no such thing. And these are coming from, these are not coming from unchurched folks. These are coming from churched young people growing up in Christian homes, growing up, going to church. And so you have to understand that the law still does what the law has always done. It shows us the need for a savior. Y'all look at me, y'all look at me kind of, you understand that, that now again, we don't live by the law, right. nor do we beat people up with the law. Exactly. Does that make sense? So we're not talking about using the law as a stick to go bash on people. Because <laughs> how many of you grew up in that kind of church? Come on, I'll be honest. Oh, yeah. You know, where the law was used and all this kind of stuff. What the law does is the law just shows us what's going on. The law just shows us our, our great need for Jesus. Amen. Again, I'll tell the story. So we're in Canada, and then I'll get into the message. We'll see what happens. This is all free. This is an appetizer. But uh, is um, we're in Canada. We're there, and, and I get invited by a church member to go help him evict a tenant in his apartment, his basement suite apartment. And so this brother goes, hey, Pastor Brad, will you go with me? I, a, I need a witness legally. And B, maybe there's a chance we can minister Jesus to him. I said, well, sure. I've never helped anybody evict anybody before, so... Let's see what this looks like. So we go, and the guy's there, and we're telling him, hey, you know, you got to pack your stuff. you got two weeks to get out, right? you got to leave. And, and he goes, and we start this conversation, and, and he looks at me, and he says, well, I'm a humanist, right? I'm a secular humanist. I'm my own God, and I couldn't help it. But the spirit of sassy came on me, and I, and I, said, I said, well, how's that working out for you, God? You're getting, you're getting evicted, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> right? How's that going, right? It's not looking so good, you being God, right? And we chuckled and all this kind of stuff went on. And then in the conversation, I said, I said, so you you get to be your own God? He said, yes. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. I said, so you get to make up all your own rules? And he said, yes. I said, man, that's even cooler. And then the Holy Spirit gave me this question to ask him. I said, so how are you at keeping your own rules? (laughs) And he chuckled and laughed. He says, well, not very good. I said, now you need to listen to yourself because you've told me you're your own God. You've told me you get to make up the rules and you can't even keep the rules you make. So do you understand that even when we talk about with the law, it, it is good when we talk to people and not hear me not to beat people over the head, but it is good to sit there when someone, and I love it, you know, I've talked to people before here and they talk about them lying. I said, oh, so you're a liar. And they're like, abba, abba. I said, well, that's what you said, right? You just told a lie, and the Bible says don't lie, so that means you're a, you're a liar. And they're like, well, yeah, I, I guess so. You know, and they look and go, whoa. I said, and I'm asking another question. I said, now that we're on this little gravy train here, is so have you ever looked at someone of the opposite sex and lusted after them? And they said, well, yeah. And I said, well, according to Jesus, you're an adulterer. So you're a lying adulterer. <laughs> Right? Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? And they kind of sheepishly go, yeah. I I said, so now you're a lying, adulterant, blasphemer. (laughs) I said, how's that going for you? 
right? Do you understand? And, and, and you don't beat people up with it, but that's what the law is there for. The law tells mankind where it is short. Now, there's no condemnation in that shortness in the sense of God is not saying it's now you can't make it right. Does this, does this make sense to you? Mm-hmm. So I say that as all preamble to what we're talking about is, is when we go into the Old Testament, you have to look at the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. So when you read through the stories as we have been with David, we look at them through New Testament eyes like we'll do here this morning. Even when you look at the law, you look at the law through New Testament eyes and you go, praise God, I don't have to keep this law to be right with God. Hallelujah. There's no requirement for me to do this. Jesus nailed the righteous requirement of the law to the cross. Right. But the law still is holy and just and good, as Paul said. Because the law shows mankind its desperate need for a Savior. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I've, I've had a ton of help as I've talked to people who especially maybe have a, a measure of it and they get all kind of defensive about the law. And I tell them, remember, God never intended for mankind to keep the law. Mm-hmm. That was never the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise was to show you you can't keep the law. Right. Because even if you make your own law, like my guy in Canada, you'll break the law you make because you were never intended to keep the law. You never can keep the law, right? Only Christ could fulfill the law and our believing in Christ liberates us from the righteous requirement of the law and actually empowers us then naturally to do what we couldn't do before. Does that make sense? And it helps you understand the converse of that is true. Now, you don't have to raise your hand here, right? But uh, does anybody still have a problem with lying? Anybody here on the volunteer? Anybody have a problem with lying? Just keep your hands down. Don't have to raise your hand. Uh, Kevin does. Okay, I see Delane is pointing at Kevin. And so is... Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Which one's lying? And if you say... But here's the thing. No, but here's the thing. You know, we always say, and if you say, no, I don't have a problem with lying, then you're lying. Actually, you know what? If you're a believer, you can actually say, I don't have a problem with lying. Because I've been delivered from what put me in that place. So now we don't have to endeavor to try not to lie. Because you now live in a place called truth. Does that make sense? I mean, y'all getting all kind of, I didn't mean to go this way. Yes. Blasphemer. Yes, I've I've said that. I've I've led people through that question because I've run into people who say, "Well, I'm." Because again, one of the things with humanism, one of the things in our current culture, is people will tell you, "Well, mankind is basically good." Right. And then and then people will excuse themselves. And here's how you know people again are proving Romans chapter one and two is everyone has a. Everyone has this sliding scale of badness, right? And they'll say, well, I'm basically a good person because I haven't. And then they'll tell you where their scale starts. I haven't killed anybody. So, oh, okay. So your basic scale of goodness starts with murder, right? I haven't murdered anybody. So as long as I'm below murder, I'm basically good, right? And so to help people with that, I say that as you go out and as you guys will, you go out and present righteousness, you're going to run into folks, right? And sometimes it's good to just help them again, that you'll tell them the law. Again, you hear me. 
No one can keep the law, right? Could you keep the law? Come on, answer me. Could you keep the law? No, I couldn't keep the law. You couldn't keep the law. So we present the law to people, but never from the sake of you better keep it. It actually, we present people the law of you can't keep it. And to let you know where the actual scale of goodness starts, right? It starts way back over. And that's why Jesus upped the ante on the Pharisees when he said, oh, well, have you ever hated anybody? Well, then you've murdered them. Have you ever lusted after anybody? Oh, well, you've, you've slept with them. Jesus said, okay, let me just kick this way out and let you know what it really looks like. You can't be good on your own. But in our current culture, and I say that as you guys go, because um, many times we sit there, help me with this, Lord, and we, and we show them the love of God because it's the goodness and the kindness of God that brings men to repentance. Amen. But we say that, and I agree, and we say, Amen. And what that normally means for people is, is I just love you, right? No, what the real definition of that means is, is even though I can identify your evil, I still love you. Come on now, you okay? <laughs> See the, all right, now we're going somewhere else. All right. Y'all understand that, right? The goodness and what makes the goodness of God good is that he's good to us even when we're bad. He pours out goodness on us even though he knows how wicked we are. He's still good to us. That's what makes his goodness so good. What makes his love so wonderful is like what Paul said, how great is the love of God towards us in Romans chapter 5, that even while I was in the midst of my sin, he died for me. That's how great his love is. And even, he says, on even when I made myself God's enemy. I love the fact that Paul never said God made himself our enemy. I made Brad his enemy. And when Brad made Brad his enemy, that's when he died for me. Mm-hmm. So, so even when we talk about the goodness of God does not hide people's evil, it loves them in the middle of their evil. Mm-hmm. It's good to them in the middle of their wickedness. It blesses them in the middle of their badness. Doesn't hide the badness. So, it just. Mm-hmm. So what is you said that he's good to us even when we're evil? What mm-hmm. does that look like? What does his goodness look like? Oh, in the sense of for the human race, when yeah. when he's good. Well, Jesus said, "I could go to Matthew." Man. Oh, absolutely. He disciplines. Well, he disciplines his children. He doesn't discipline the world. He disciplines us. Those who were born again, because he's a good father. So when you and I, as his children, make a mistake, he comes in and he disciplines us with his word. He disciplines us by the spirit and what is called by Paul to the Corinthian church, godly sorrow. Right? That can, we call it good old fashioned conviction. I shouldn't have done that. Right? That's his discipline to us. He disciplines his children. Right? Look at me kind of funny. Because there's two things that draw people to repentance. One is for the world and one is for the believer. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Paul says, Do you not understand that it's the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God that draws men to repentance? That's the world. That's the unsaved. And then to 1 Corinthian church, when he's talking about that man and his probably mother who were in a bad relationship... 
right? And Paul said, even the pagans aren't doing this kind of stuff. But the Corinthian church were doing this in the name of grace. Right? Yeah. Is, that, is that not a new story for y'all? Okay, so just making sure y'all, because some of y'all looking like, oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, right? we'll try to make this light and fluffy and help people. I don't know, but, it's, but, but it says, but godly sorrow brought that couple to repentance. If you remember the story, this man, and again, best case scenario, his stepmom, worst case scenario, his actual mom, Bradology actually believes it was his actual mom because Paul says the heathens ain't even doing this. The unbelievers aren't doing this kind of stupid, but you guys are doing it in the name of grace. It has to be disciplined. So Paul says discipline looks like ostracize them. Kick them out, if you will, of the gathering of the saints. Don't even have lunch with them. <laughs> right? For the sake of godly sorrow. Right? And Paul actually, I mean, again, I always jokingly say, can you imagine being in that church service? Because Paul actually says, this is how you do that. You gather together on your weekly gathering. Let's say on Sunday morning, you're gathering. Ha, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Brother and sister so-and-so, I need y'all to come up here, please. Thank you so much. In the name of Jesus, we turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. <laughs> <laughs> that your soul might be saved in the name of Jesus. Now get out. Amen. Don't even, can't eat lunch here anymore and you need to repent. Right. I mean, if I, if, if I did that, this church would be empty, right? I mean, this, you know. yes. Yeah, no, we're not talking about it. Totally different. That was serious. But that was actually what Paul said do. Paul said publicly in the name of Jesus, evoke a prayer over them, offering Satan to come and destroy their bodies so their soul might be saved. Right. And, 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 and so, and, but in second Corinthians, it worked. They came back, they repented, they turned, they changed. And then the church did what classically the church tends to do. They kept whipping them. And Paul said, stop. <laughs> they, it worked. <laughs> they came back. All right. Love them, bring them in, embrace them. It's all good. Godly sorrow brought them to repentance. Right? See, there's two things that bring men to repentance. The goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God is for the world. Right? Godly sorrow is for the church. Is that, is that an effective discipline? It's, a, it's effective church discipline. Right? Now, praise God, most of us don't need to go that far. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Amen. Most of us are very sensitive. Everyone I'm looking at here this morning, I would say, I know you will know, you're very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So godly sorrow looks more like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. Ooh, made a mistake there. Ugh, sorry. And you say, sorry, vertically, Lord, sorry about that. That's not who you made me to be. If you did something horizontally, you come and, hey, sorry about that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. How can I make that right? How can I make restitution? Sorry about that. And you make, but that's still godly sorrow. God does that for those he loves. I would say it like this. If I've never experienced godly sorrow, I may not be, I may not be saved, <laughs> right? Because he disciplines those he loves. So that's why we should never fear the word conviction, nor should we ever fear the act of conviction. We actually should rejoice whenever conviction happens because it's the 
one of the principal hallmarks that lets us know we're born again. Remember, I've, I've said the story many, many times to you guys about the young girl who actually got saved at the Irondale campus a number of years ago. And after about six months after her salvation, you know, I'm there, happened to be at Irondale with Pastor Mark, and she walks in the door, and you can just see it, right? She sees us, she smiles, and she goes, <laughs> countenance falls, and she goes, oh, I'm so glad y'all are both here. I got to talk to you. And you can just feel it. We're like, okay, well, let's sit down. We sat down with a little coffee area over there, and we're sitting down. She goes, well, I just got to. I just got to confess. I just got to, I just got to, so I'm smoking marijuana again. And just by the Holy Spirit, I looked at her and said, I am so, so, so excited for you. And she looked at me and she's like, Pastor Brad, you're, you're excited. I'm smoking marijuana. I said, you don't know how excited I am about this for you. And she goes, okay, I'm confused. I said, I know. I said, let me show you. And we took her to Romans, Right where it says that the Holy Spirit will guide us as sons to the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. In Romans chapter 8, around verse 11, I said, because six months ago, you probably didn't feel anything, did you? And she was like, no. I said, and now you do. And she goes, yes. I said, that's godly sorrow. That's a sign you're born again. That's a sign the decision you made six months ago was actually real and true. That's a sign of sonship. That's a sign that you're a child. He came in and lovingly said, no, 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 we don't do that. Mm -hmm. How many of we all got little kids running around this place? Mm -hmm. How many of us as parents, you loved your kids? Oh, no, 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 baby, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. No, 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 we don't do that. Why do you do that? Because you love them. No, 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 baby, we don't touch the hot stove. Right? No, 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 baby, don't. I mean, I had to, it's so funny. He's not in, well, he isn't here. I'm going to tell him Caleb. I, I might give you money for this since I'm using it in the sermon. I don't know. But is, you know, so Caleb's got his little, um, what is that little thing? Your Mark Rober engineering thing. And clearly marked on the thing is do not poke the motor into the outlet of the wall. Right? <laughs> he gets this little motor that's designed to run on a nine volt battery. And him being my child. He looks at this and goes, hey, that'll go on the wall. I wonder how fast it'll, if it'll go this fast on a nine volt. <laughs> if I plug it into the wall, because <laughs> I come home from work and, and I love it. And this is all to be us. He's got the, he's in trouble, but he's got this, my goofy grin on his face. He goes, daddy, I blew the breaker to the whole house. <laughs> I, sh- I shut the whole house down and I said, oh, you did. I said, what you do? And he says, well, I plug this thing in and burn up my motor. And it's all gone. And that's when we look and say, okay, okay, cool. Uh, hey, we don't do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We, I love you too much. I, and I had to look at you, right? And I had to look at you and say, hey, listen, I appreciate the ingenuity. But that stuff in the wall will kill you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. One will hurt you. One, one ten will, even though I jokingly say safety third all the time. Because, you know, but is, it is a joke. But I do say, hey, but that stuff, <laughs> that stuff coming... That stuff coming out of the wall will hurt you. Don't ever do that again. Right? Don't ever do that because it'll, it'll really damage you. Oh, and by the way, you've got to now buy the next motor because I'm not buying you another one. And he did. Right? Does that make sense? See, why did I do that? Because I'm just this mean, old, crusty guy that can't have fun. No, it's because I love you. Does this make sense? Your heart delights in your son. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, my heart delights in my son. That father disciplines those in whom his heart, heart delights. delights. Yeah. Amen. So whenever we receive conviction, 
We just, and I love that. So we should know that, oh, God delights in me. He delights in me enough to correct me. He delights in me enough to, to say, no, 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 we don't do that. That's not who I made you to be. That's not who I created you to be. That's not who your, who your nature is. That's who you used to be. That's not who you are now. Does, does this make sense? But back to Tony saying, what does it look like? Go to Matthew. You thought I forgot, didn't you? Okay, good. Matthew chapter 5. Man, I guess I started this one. You did. I know. So, Lord, I believe this was your idea. <laughs> I hope that this is helpful. Romans, or Mark, Matthew chapter 5, one of my favorite. Look at this. Starting in verse 43, and again, this is uh, a great stuff if you study. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes through a series of little teachings where he says, You have heard it said, now I tell you this. Right? And he does about three of these. You have heard it said, da-da-da-da-da-da, now I tell you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So look at this. So you have heard that it was said in verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. As you realize that, that that's still basically being taught in a lot of church. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so that, this is still applicable to today. You have heard it said, you shall love those you go to church with and you'll hate those who don't go to church with you or don't go to church at all. Mm-hmm. Right? But I say to you, Love your enemy, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you. Now notice the next verse, verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. One of the hallmarks of being a son of heaven is that you bless those that hate you, you do good to those who persecute you. Those who spitefully use you, you do good. That's a hallmark because it says, for he, still in verse 45, for he, talking of God, makes his son to rise on who? On the evil and the good. Right? And he sends the rain on the just and the under. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Recently, in the last couple of years, I've heard a twisted translation of this from believers. Right, I've heard, I've heard believers say, and I've, this has been said directly to me by people. Again, I will not name names. And my wife is helping me not name names. I'm trying to be a good boy. Right, but I've had people directly look at me. You know, well, such and such bad thing happened to me. Well, you know, God sent the rain on the just and the unjust. And first time this person said this to me, my head whipped around. I said, what, what did you just say? He said, well, you know, this bad thing happened to me, but God sends rain on the just. I said, brother, that is a very misinterpreted thing of that passage. Very. Very. I said, whoever told you that lied to you. Right? Because in this passage, this is an agricultural thing. He's saying, when sunshine happens, is that bad or good? That's good. Right? When rain comes, is that bad or good? It's good because you're trying to grow crops. And here, it's the goodness. Jesus was saying, hey, be like your daddy who sends good things on everybody. 
He causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. He sends rain to water the crops and provide for you on the, on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. So God is impartial with his goodness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All throughout Jesus' teaching, he's trying to teach us the impartiality of God's goodness. It's the whole story, one of my favorite stories is of the Jesus story is, is Jesus tells the story of the vine uh, owner, the vineyard owner, if you remember this, and he gets up one morning, you know, it's bright and early and he goes out and he gets some men and says, Hey, will you come work in my field? I'm going to give you a denarius, right? Which was basically a day's wage, right? So let's just kind of just suppose, you know, average day's wage for, you know, like Jefferson County area is about 150 bucks a day. Average. Again, I know that's those people. Some people make more, some people make less. But if you kind of do the math, about $150, $175 a day is what most people make where we live. So basically, hey, listen, if you come and work in my field, I'm going to pay you $150, bucks, man. Now, woo! How many of you like to make $150 bucks in a day? Right? And these guys are up, bam, let's go, baby. And they get out in the field and they're working, right? He goes out about mid morning, he finds some more people doing nothing. He says, hey, listen, don't do Don't sit around here and do nothing. Right? Come on out here and work in the field. I'll give you 150 bucks. Right? Woo! And they jump out there and they're doing. Goes out about midday, finds more people doing nothing. Right? We might joke, let's say he went up to Hoover, right? Guadalajara. You know, and he found people as a joke. Right? All the Mexicans <laughs> hang out in Hoover. Right? And he, he's picking up. He's picking up. I can say that because I'm married to a Latin. So y'all, nobody throw if you listening to this. I am in the Latin community. That's what happened. They, he picks up another truckload, brings them out to the field. Hey, I pay 150 bucks. Goes out about three o'clock in the afternoon, still finds people doing nothing. You ever notice in this story, God has a problem with people doing nothing. <laughs> right? He has a problem with folks who do nothing. Right? And so he picks them up at about three and takes them out there. Hey, I'll give you 150 bucks. He goes out, it says, at like four o'clock, the last hour of the day. And he still finds people doing nothing. nothing. He says, Hey, why you you just sat here all day and done nothing? What's wrong with you? Get in the truck, let's go. I'll I'll, I'll take care of you. So then it says, you remember how the story goes? It comes at the end of the day and they paid everybody at the end of the day. Master sits down at the table and he lines everybody up in reverse order, right? He lines them up in reverse order from the the last ones on. (laughs) There's Charlie. Charlie saying hello. (laughs) And so he knows that. So, um, so he sits there, and when the guy, the guys that got picked up at like four o'clock, they come up to the table, and he shells out hundred and fifty bucks. Well, all of a sudden, it starts rippling through the line. He gave those guys hundred and fifty bucks, and he did it with everybody else. And he gets to the guys he picked up first thing in the morning, and they're ticked. What are you doing? You gave them hundred for. We've been here all day. Under the sun, bearing the weight, and you're going to just give us the same thing you gave them. And I love the master's response. Do you hate me because I do good with my things? Why are you hating me? Did you, you agreed. We had an arrangement. I've chosen to do something good and you're hating my goodness. 
This was a message of the kingdom. God is impartial with his goodness. It's his. He can do whatever he wants with his goodness. But so can you. That's the whole point of what Jesus was saying. That you may be like your father who is in heaven, who sends good things on everybody, who is impartial. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 46. For if you love those that love you, what reward do you have? And the answer is none. Let me say that one more time. If you love those who love you, what kind of reward do you get? None. None. Right? He says, don't the tax collectors or the sinners do that? Right? If you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. Do not even the sinners do that? See, you realize that the world system only loves those that love them. The world system only greets those or interacts with those who are their brethren. See, the world's system is exclusive. Come on. Can I just get a medal? I'm not here, not with us. I'm talking about other places, right? But, you know, there's a lot of churches that are just like that, aren't there? They love their members. They greet each other. They're not better than... That's what the world does. The world is partial. The world is exclusive. The world picks and chooses. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's why the doctrine of hospitality is so important. Again, what Audrey was referring to in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, it talks about the, the signposts. Or it's another great, well, let's go there in just a minute. I'll let you, these are the signposts of being born again. Right? Have, have you ever wondered, you know, have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, you know, you, it, it's just between you and God, right? You can't tell when somebody's born again. Right, it's a private faith thing. No, 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 it's not. It's highly visible, right? And Romans 12 will tell you, and we'll look at that maybe here in just a second, how it's visible. But let's finish up this. Therefore, verse 48, therefore be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now let's do a little bit of Bible interpretation. Let me ask you a question. Does God want you to be perfect? Come on, I got, this, I got two people. Does, does God, I just read a verse to you. Yeah. Does God want you to be perfect? Yes. yes. Okay, let me go with the, some of y'all look at me real funny here. Therefore, verse 40, therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. So does God want you to be perfect? Yes. Yes. Let us, I know that some of that goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, because we throw out there in the church world, well, it's not about perfection, brother. Well, where'd you get that from? I was always taught that means complete. It, it does. It means complete. It means mature. It means perfect. 
is perfection. Maturity is perfection. Even when it's sloppy. Right? <laughs> sloppy perfection. But here's the thing though. But no, but let's define our terms. Right? So in the context we just read, define for me perfection. In that whole passage we just read, what is the kingdom definition of perfection? Being love your enemies. Yeah, son over everybody. Being indiscriminate. Love everybody. Do good to all. We might say it like this being inclusive. Have to be nice all the time. Have to be nice all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. That's going to be hard. Well, here's my thing you know, is we have to be good all the time. Think be good and nice. Well, good. Nice is just just nice. But good is is you can um well how like this. I love this, right? I mean, here's the analogy. Aldrin and I talk about this sometimes at work. You know, there's Jesus said, you know, there were two sons that had the same father. Right? Daddy got up one day and said, Son, so and so, firstborn son, I need you to go do X, Y, or Z. And the firstborn said, said, Yes, father, I'll be glad to, and then didn't do it. He goes to the second born son and says, son number two, I need you to go do X, Y, or Z. And he says, well, you sorry, no good sucker. You know, I had plans today. You know, I was busy. Da, 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 no. And the father walks away and the sons walk away. And the second son goes, and he goes and he does it. Jesus asked the question, which son obeyed? Which son obeyed was the rucka, rucka, rucka son, right? Who, even though he started out and it wasn't very nice, at the end he said, okay, Father, I know what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. that story used to really bother <laughs> Still does. Still does. Story still bothers. But, hey, listen, I mean, sometimes it's kind of stuff. I'm not saying easy. Yeah. All right? In the sense of on your soul. But here, Jesus says, hey, listen, you're a son of the, of the Father. Your Father shines, waters, prospers, does good to all men. That's just what he does. And you're his son. So be perfect like he is. Not a perfection of morality, but a perfection of, okay, God, I will be good to all. I will do good to all. It's not a perfection of performance. A performance, that's exactly right. Our culture is, well, if you got 100% on your test, now you're perfect. Perfect, yeah. If you pitched the ball just right and, and then the other person hit it just right and the other people ran just right, that's perfection. So yeah. they're... they're Tying our perfection to our performance. Very well said. That's good. We're not talking about a performance, a perfection of performance. We're talking about a perfection of goodness. That I will be good to all. Right? Huh? Well, love never fails. But we're talking about, again, it is, and again, okay. Go to 1 John. And, and this is where we're going. Is this okay? Is this all good? Everybody happy? Hope this is growing people, huh? 
Thank you. First John. Oh, still teaching this new Bible how to preach here. First John chapter three. Verse 16. I love the 316s. John has some pretty powerful 316s. You know. This is another John, 1 John 316. It says, By this we know love. So let me ask you a question. Can love be known? Yes. 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 Is love visible? Yes. yes. Right, it is. It's tangible, right? Mm-hmm. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. So when did he lay down his life for us? When did he do that? When, when you were all, all smick and clean and pretty looking? When you were sinners, when you made yourself his enemy, when you were in the middle of your wickedness, when you were wherever you were. And again, and, and, and here's the thing. I mean, if you're like me, uh, I was born in church. Anybody else was born in church? Like you just grew up in church. Uh, you still need Jesus, right? You understand? <laughs> That was a dawning reality on me one day when I was, oh, yeah, okay, that, that got me no cred, right? Just, no. just <laughs> me being born in church and growing up in church, oh, yeah, I'm still desperately wicked and in need of a Savior. That dawned on me when I was 19, right? And that's what led me to, oh, wow, and you've been good to me this whole time. So we all have that, right? Because you hear, hear the, the joking thing, I'd, I'd hate to be the best, most behaved person in hell. to realize I'm leading the line in hell. Oh, look, I'm number one. (laughs) Anyway, so, but um, it says here, it says he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So again, we sit there and say, well, what does this look, what does this look like? Guys, this to me, goodness is very visible. Right? It's very, I call this the obvious stuff. How do I know, how do, what does this look like? Okay, we talk about doing good to people. Right? It's obvious. You don't have to, you know, most people these days would take this and say, this would be the modern church translation of, of John three seventeen. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need, uh, let him go and pray and ask the Lord if he should do something for this person, if God is leading him to do something for this person, if God is putting it on his heart for him to do something for this person, Come on now, mm-hmm. if he's being led. Because I've seen people hide behind the Holy Spirit. Right, I've seen that, right? You know, I let Selena be the Holy Spirit since he's there. So it's here. So some people hide behind the Holy Spirit. You know, they sit there and they say, well, you know, well, did you do something for somebody, right? Brad, did you do? Well, no, the, the Holy Spirit didn't lead. It's hurtful. <laughs> right? Holy Spirit didn't lead me to do that. Mm, that's good. 
don't, hey, don't blame me. Holy Spirit didn't. And the Holy Spirit's going, huh? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. But how many of you seen people hide behind the Holy Spirit before? Oh, and I've had that happen over all these years. Of being, oh, I, I didn't go tell them about Jesus, Brad, because the Spirit didn't lead me to do that. Oh, I didn't go pray for them because the Spirit didn't lead me to, to pray for them. Oh, I didn't do X, Y, Z for them because the Spirit didn't lead me. That's good. Ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because I grew up in church. It took me a while to like come around for myself. Uh-huh. But I was under the impression when I was younger, and I thought I'm old, for everybody here to throw off me, that like, oh, there's like things that are obvious. Mm-hmm. So, and when you're a Christian... It'll just be easy because it's obvious and you're already like, mm-hmm. like being nice to people and yeah. stuff. And then like you read the Bible and you realize, like, is it a human problem? Like we just like to be impartial. Like, yeah. Does that make sense? Like I thought it would be, I thought that was like, oh, once you're a Christian, in my mind when I was young, like all that's just gonna like go away. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. No. Because it, obviously you have Jesus in you now, so this is not gonna be. And then you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. I remember being like so. <laughs> yeah, you're so just like, like, oh, like he's talking to Christian people. Like, don't if you know somebody needs something, just yeah, do it. Or do it. If you know, I don't know if that's a dumb question, but like, no, it's not a well, well, it tees up this. Y'all pray for, and again, so a little bit be praying for me because for some months the Lord's been talking to me about something that we need to talk about here, but I want to make sure I, I say it well. Uh, some of the, I've talked to a few of you about it, but, and I, so I'm just going to give you the bladow right now, and then y'all help me craft it. We have to be careful that we don't let our soul rob us of opportunity. That's good. Because our soul is a thief. Our soul will rob us. Now, what do I mean by our soul? Remember, we've talked about the three parts, spirit, soul, and body. I'm talking about that unrenewed part of our soul, the part of our mind, our will, our emotions that maybe hasn't been renewed, brought into line with the word of God, that kind of stuff. We all have some of that. Does, amen. Can we all? <laughs> I mean, anybody here perfect yet on that side? I mean, in that sense of perfect, I'm not inclusionary. Anybody, but how many of you need some more of your mind renewed? Anybody yeah. be willing to join the pastor in saying, I need some of my mind renewed? Right. And so I, we all have it. So please hear me. I know that. So this is not about perfection. We all have parts of our mind, our soul that must be renewed. Right. But until while that time is happening and why it's important is your soul will rob from you. Right? Un, unrenewed thinking will rob opportunity from you. Right? Un, unrenewed emotions. I mean, you remember your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. Unrenewed mind will rob opportunity from you. Unrenewed emotions will rob opportunity from you. Right? Unrenewed will will rob opportunity from you. Huh? Fear, well, that's all, that's an unrenewed emotion, right? Does, does this make sense? And so when we talk about this again, that's why you see John talk about, oh, the obvious things. You look up and go, oh, somebody 
needs this, whatever this is. I look at me and I go, oh, I can do that. (laughs) God says, when you see that, go, oh, that's the love of God. The fact that I can see it, I can look at me and go, yep, I can do it. A plus B <laughs> equals the love of God. <laughs> does that make sense? If, if where, where does this come into play? Uh-huh. A guy you know is three months behind on his power bill. Yep. He needs $750. Gotcha. Just to get caught up. Just to get caught up. He's in need. Yep. Right? But you know this guy that you've already given mm-hmm. money, money to, to in the past. In the past. Yep. And he's been at the club five nights a week. And yep. he's got on $300 shoes and... I'm with he's, you. He's still in need. He's still in need. He's there, and I've got it. Yep. Where does that, I mean, you've got to ask somebody, because that, that doesn't feel, maybe this is just totally mind blowing to me. No, that's good. I'm with you. I, I doubt I'm giving him that money. Yeah. But he's in need. Yeah. And the Bible says to, because he's in need. Yeah. So where does, where does, where does wisdom does play? Where does, I, I see it, so, uh-huh. That's true. And, and what here, okay, so, so let, me, let me just kind of throw some stuff out there, okay? So as we hear, and if this is all good. Again, so we see certain stuff, and we look and see, and you see, I'll take Tony's and I'll, I see somebody, I know their history, I know where they're at. And so I may not give them money, but I'll engage with them and see what else I can do for them. Right? Again, let people disqualify themselves. Many times what happens is, is we, we disqualify people instead of giving them the opportunity to disqualify themselves. So you may look, and I'll just, again, Tony's here. For those who are listening, Tony has a business that he runs. So Tony may see somebody and go, oh, I know you have a need. Hey, man, I need help in my business. If you come on down here and we'll walk you through this, we'll give you a job. Then if the person goes, well, no, 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 no. Well, then, okay, you just, you just disqualified you. I was still good. Does that, does that make sense? I still responded in a measure of goodness that I could. Does that make sense? And I'm going to let somebody else disqualify themselves. Right? It's one of the biggest things that we can learn how to do is, is let people disqualify themselves. Now, here's, now, that's one side. That's probably what I would do. Just what I said to you is what I would do. Because I've got a business. I could look at somebody and I can say, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity to earn the money you need. To pay for your light bill. Right? I'm still being good. Now here's one side. Or I can just give you the money. And, and, well, and, and my thing is, is, and this is, and I'm not saying that I, the, uh, please hear me. Here you got to get into the pastoral disclaimers. Right? Here's, not saying you should do that. Not saying that's the best move. Not saying that's the wisest move. But if we look at our scripture we've been looking at this morning, but man, God is causing rain to fall on people who are not at all appreciative, who are completely wasteful, completely ungrateful, completely not going to respond at all to his goodness, who are going to go, nah, 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 nah. And some of it can be like, and I think that is, but, but here's my thing, but I'm, I would say like this, when opportunities come and you can see them, we need to engage it. 
So an opportunity presents itself. I can see the opportunity. Somehow I know of the opportunity. Somehow the opportunity is there, right? Because there's all kinds of people around maybe this person, right, that they have no idea because he's wearing $300 shoes. He looks probably okay. He's doing whatever. And so everybody else is going, oh, Mr. Mr. Gotbuck's over here is doing just fine. But somehow I know what's going on. I would say, at least for me, is, is I would start to look at how can I engage? Right. How can I engage? What would that look like? I think there's multiple ways to engage. Right. Does that make sense? Again, is this all right? Yeah. It, yes. Okay. We had, hold on, Ms. Teresa. Yes. Yeah. But it pricked my heart and it continually pricked my heart. Absolutely. Like two months of nothing but why are people being good to me when I don't deserve it? And I have been to church. So, I mean, I think that's, like you said, Mm -hmm. but it did bring me to a place of surrender and I gave my life to the Lord truly. Yes, absolutely. Completely changed me. Absolutely. Lots of diapers and a lot of prayer totally changed me. Absolutely. I've been used to religious people who said, you, you smoke and you do things, you're not welcome here. Yeah. And all I have ever seen was, you do Dude. bad, so we're not going to associate with you. And this church was being kind to me, and I didn't go there. Yeah. So it's a big deal. It can really change. It can be. Like giving to them. Money is a tool, and it can prick their heart. Yeah. Of course, prayer. Um, but you were talking about, uh, he had asked, how does God... Um, you were saying that God corrects his children, but what about unbelievers? I have a situation with my sister who I will not give to because all she is is ungrateful. And everything is always mm-hmm. somebody else's problem. And she's wrecking her life and other people's. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I'm out of it. But you see it destroying people who yeah. you love. Like my mother and I'm like, how do you deal with, you know, I know we pray. Mm-hmm. How does God deal with people like that? You know, who I don't know about goodness helping her at all. Because <laughs> people have been good to her. Yeah. I have been good to her. Yeah. Very, I, I guess it also made me think of how does God deal with people who are just plain evil mm-hmm. and who do not accept the goodness of God? Yeah. That's right. He's still, and, and so let's talk, we talk about that. And, and again, and this is, I love it. This is going to be bigger than what we can cover in Sunday. Um, and there are no hard answers in the sense of, what we're trying to go for. Um, and help me, Holy Spirit. I'll talk about me because I can't talk about you. <laughs> My heart for years has been, Lord, how do I, how do I be good? Not from, because uh, I want to be a good boy. But, but guys, I've told you before, pay attention to your Jesus stories. I just read you one of the biggest ones of my heart. What rings the bell of my heart is Matthew chapter 5, the very end. Rings me so hard when it comes. Because I have those same questions. Because I know, and, and we should, there, 
aspects of wisdom. We shouldn't enable people, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't do things that we know knowingly keep people in their funk. So please hear me. I'm not saying I'm empowering enablement. Everybody hear me say, say, Brad says we shouldn't empower bad behavior. Y'all heard Brad say that, right? Everybody shake your head. You heard Brad say that, right? But here's the thing. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about me. Because, I mean, guys, really, how far did Jesus go? There was no guarantee I would say yes to him. None that I would yield my life to him, that I would serve him, that I would follow. He had no guarantee. And he didn't stop short. He didn't say, well, Brad, I'll do this for you as long as you'll promise me you'll be a good little boy. As long as you promise me you won't sleep around. As long as you promise me you won't abandon your child. As long as you promise me that you won't do the things you... As long as you promise me that you'll clean up real nice, then I'll be glad. He never said that. Because I don't know, but I mean, do y'all have... I earned nothing. I deserve nothing. And that's Paul's words. How great is the Father's love for us. Oh, he demonstrated us that it's like this. Oh, while Brad was a sinner, when there was no hope, when there was no promise, when there was no light or glimmer of anything good coming from me, I'll die for you in that moment. Oh, when Brad made himself my enemy, when Brad went to war against me and my kingdom and my ways and my thoughts, when when Brad set himself contrary to me, oh, okay, that's when I reconciled you. Does that, does it, the goodness of God Do you understand that holiness and goodness are synonymous throughout Scripture? That God's glory, everybody go, you know, what do we, all these songs we sing in church? Let your glory, what is it? Glory fall. You know, what are these kind of real, you know, y'all help me, the music people. Glory rain down, oh, the glory, glory, glory. Everybody, y'all know these songs about the glory, oh, the glory. Do you understand Moses said, God. Show me your glory. And God says to Moses, hey, listen, if I showed you all of my glory, it would wipe you out. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tuck you up in the cleft of the rock. And I'm my favorite. I can't help it. It's my favorite comedian. And God mooned Moses, right? You ever realize that God mooned Moses? But it says it's so God... God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock, literally blocks him where he can't see him fully, passes by him, and the scripture says, and God showed Moses his hinder parts, his bum. God mooned Moses, right? But Moses, he says, 
and I saw your goodness. See, Moses asked to see God's glory. God said, you can't handle all of my goodness. I will show you a portion of my goodness. And I will pass by and, and a glimmer of how good I am will fall on you. And it says, and he walked down off that mountain and glowed literally from the goodness of God. So much so that he freaked everybody out and he had to hide his face behind a veil, which is why they did the veil in the temple, which is, which is why the veil had to be torn because God says, I want to show the world my goodness. And it's why we sing a song that says, my anchor holds in the veil. What is the goodness of God is my anchor. I can't outgive the goodness of God. I could give everything away as an expression of the goodness of God. And my anchor is stuck in the reality of the full goodness of God. Because when he came and showed his goodness to me, he gave himself and died, went to hell as me, liberated my authority, came back and stepped inside of me and said, now be like your father in heaven who puts, who reigns and shines and pours out on those who will be grateful and those who will hate him. And God never steps back and, 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 and calibrates, <laughs> is it worth it? He never sits back and calibrates fairness. He never sits back and calibrates anything other than I, I'm, just, I'm just good. I'm so good. I'm just, I'll, I'll pay you $150 for an hour. That's how good I am. I'm, I'm just so good. I'm just going to be good. And I'm just going to do good. And I think for us, as we look at the world, our question doesn't need to be, should I? Our question needs to be, how can I be good here? In this opportunity that has presented itself, how do I show goodness? What can I do to, to show goodness to God, of God? Right? And, and again, and, and I think that's, and then we come from that place. It may not be. So, for example, for someone like this who is, is, has been helped before mm -hmm. and all that, you could offer work. work or your time for an hour to really talk yeah. through why yeah. do you find yourself at this place again. Yeah, absolutely. That's very generous. No, absolutely. Your time is definitely money. Absolutely. Sense, you know. Absolutely. So offering, hey, but... but it's offered like this, and if they don't want it, then they've disqualified then themselves. themselves. Absolutely. Or if they do take it and then they don't apply it, we'll give it then anyway. they're not hungry, you know, enough or whatever. Yeah. But, but that's another way to offer. Yeah. And, yeah, I, guys, y'all please hear me. Y'all hear that we should have and need to have all the practical conversations. What could this look like? What should the, uh, uh, yes, let's please have them. Let, 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 let's talk about what wisdom looks like. We should. But I'm talking to you guys as believers to say, and I want to encourage us and myself included, is man, just 
God, I just want to be radically good. I, I, again, I don't even think I've come close to the... I, I, I hope y'all... I, you stand and you look at the goodness of God to you. Or to me, I look at the goodness of God to me. And I just... It truly... I look at come here. I don't... I don't know how to exp- You stand back and go, man, you, what? It was never ending, but it's. I, I, if you just stop, I, it, it, it's truly dumbfounding. Does that make sense? I mean, if I. I, I, I mean, guys, I grew up and I. God took me to a. All kinds of places. I couldn't get myself there, but he got me there. Gives me a wife. Restores my greatest mistake. Blesses my house with wisdom and, and, and children that amaze me and astound me. And gives me people. And those people give me life. And just... I go, you're good. And and you're just good. And guys, that goodness will, I I promise you, it'll change you. Because you stand back and you go, oh yeah, I can do that. Even if it's not appreciated, I can do that. Does, does that does that make sense? I mean, you realize that just what Jesus said. Oh, hey, listen, young Jewish boy who is being persecuted by an overlord empire called Rome. You remember that? Oh, oh, little Jewish boy, because you understand the law, the law in the Roman Empire. Roman soldier walks up. I'm gonna pick on Landon. Roman soldier walks up. I'm a Roman soldier. I'm big. I'm bad. And I say, hey, boy. Grab my, grab my stuff, we're going. Roman boy doesn't get to say, I, I'm busy. <laughs> Roman boy doesn't get to say, I wouldn't care to. He could say it and then they'd just kill him. Right? Jewish boy gets to say, okay, I'll carry your stuff for a mile. Because that's what the law demands. And Jesus said, hey, listen, Landon. And they come and demand of you one mile. Your response is, let me go another. When they come and they demand of you your tunic, give them your coat also. Do you see this? Why? Because that's the goodness of God. That's that's the amazing goodness of God that that is there. Amen? And, And that's... Guys, that's our nature. Amen. So anyway. Father, this Thanksgiving. Um, just remind us how good you are. Lord, how good you've been to us. Lord, how good you've been to our nation. How good you've been to our family line and our household. Thank you.
Thank you. And Lord God, now I pray for a revelatory prayer for all of us here. And Lord, your goodness has been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, show us how good we are. Hallelujah. Show us how, Lord, give us opportunity, please, to demonstrate your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And with that, guys, you know, I haven't said this yet, but over this coming holiday season, um, if you know of anybody that needs, again, they need food, they need help, they need stuff, please let me know, right? If there's stuff in your world uh, that's happening, that, that's going on, um, let, let me know. If there's families that need a Thanksgiving dinner, let us know. If there's a family that needs Christmas, please let us know. If there's things we can do that are tangible like that, please let us know. Uh, uh, Jilda called me yesterday, and I'm trying to see. She uh, met a, a gentleman here in the area, started a conversation, invited him to church. He might need a ride, right? I tried to reach out to him this morning, but I didn't get an answer. But if you're willing to help give people a ride to church, let me know, right? Because we've got somebody that might want to come um, and, and needs a ride, but just let us know. I mean, does this make sense? It's, it's way more practical and tangible than, than we could imagine. Um, with that, I'm going to let you to know something that we talk about giving. Um, and with this here, uh, many of you know Michael and Jilda uh, that have been coming to the church. Many of you know how the Lord has touched Michael's body and his brain and healed him and brought him into stuff. Uh, but I, I've heard and and have been told that there could be a need for them monetarily because of hospital expenses and this and that and the other. If you ever want to give to that, uh, you can put it on an envelope and just write Davenport. That's their last name. And I'll know that that amount will go to them. Uh, if you text to give, if that's what you do and you want to give and help them as the Lord would lead you, Again, do what we've done in the past, text to give, send me a text and say, hey, Brad, I want X, Y, Z amount to go to the Davenports. And what we'll do is we'll uh, let that kind of build over the next little bit and then we'll write them uh, an offering check. Can we do that? Because that's some people, again, even on this verse of goodness, right? Um, who was it Paul said? He said, do good to all men and especially those who are of the household of faith. So just in case it's never to be exclusive, I love that how Paul said, hey, do good to all. But especially, even more so, to those who are of the household of faith. Does that make sense? And, and that's all part of it. I've never taught y'all yet on this. That's all part of the whole verses that talk about how much more. Right? And it's all in that same thing. Man, if I was God's enemy, we've been talking about all morning, and he reconciled me when I was his enemy. How much more... Now that I believe, will he not do good to me? <laughs> we didn't even get to that part, right? If I was an enemy and his goodness looked like he came and he died for me, now that I'm a believer, how, how much more is he going to be good to me? Amen. Aren't you glad about the how much more? I mean, because sometimes I don't want to make sure it's clear because we talk about how great the love is of God. And in church world, I've seen it before. 
you know, uh, and unfortunately this is what's happened is we preach about the love of God to the world and then the hate of God to the church. And sometimes people are like, you know, I think I was better off being unsaved. (laughs) God loved me more when I was unsaved than now that I'm saved. No, and that's not what I'm saying at all. Because Paul says, how much more now that you have received? And I think if I'm not misquoting the verse, he says, will he give you everlasting life? Right. How much more? So again, I say all this to say we can't out express the goodness of God. The goodness of God will never run dry.